0: Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host John Schwabish. On this week's episode, I'm very excited to have Lillian Coral, who is the Chief Data Officer for the City of Los Angeles, join me on the show to talk about the importance of open data and how cities mm-hmm. use open data. And we're going to talk a lot of different things about mapping and uh, different topics that that Ellie is working on. So, so I'm really excited to have this conversation. So, Lillian, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, John. Happy to um, chat data and mapping.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Um, thanks so much for coming on. So I have a, a bunch of questions for you about uh, how LA uses uh, open data and the portal that was created. But before we do that, could you talk a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and what you and the city have been doing to open up data to more and more people?
1: Sure. Um, So, my background actually is a little bit um, untraditional to your typical chief data officer in that I actually, uh, most of my career was spent in public policy and advocacy. And then about eight years ago, I started to transition towards data and technology in the public sector. Um, So, focused a lot on public health and human service systems. And that's where I really started to see how, especially after um, the release of the first iPhone how people were adopting that technology, especially low-income communities, and then really trying to think through how does government make better use of those systems so that we could actually be more effective at delivering public services. Um, So that's a little bit about my background now as the chief data officer for the city of Los Angeles. What my team and I have focused on is one, on executing the mayor's vision of a data-driven city. Um, so we focus a lot on working with city departments and civic tech partners, uh, academic institutions in using our data and in supporting the you know, the, the wider use of data analytics and data science to solve city problems. And then the other thing um, that we're really focused on is really making sure that we're publishing the best um, city data and the most high-quality city data. So right now we have a total of 1,100 data sets that includes things from operational data to anything that's geospatial, so assets um, that the city owns or has, like every street light pole that we have, where it is, what kind of um, pole it is, to like where every crime is in the city, et cetera. So we, we do a range of data, and then the, um, we also do a, some financial data as well. Um, and we're constantly working, again, with civic tech partners, um, private companies, and the city to make sure that we're leveraging that data to build what we call you know, digital tools, digital services that, again, are all focused on improving uh, the quality of life of citizens and the way that our city provides public services.
0: With all the data that you have, I mean, it sounds like LA has a lot of data and a lot of it's being put into the open data portals being put out there. Um, Was it hard for you to come in there and was there a culture that needed to be changed? And if so, how did you go about trying to change that culture to make it more focused on opening up the data?
1: I think there's always a culture shift issue um, with any new initiative. Mm
0: -hmm. But what
1: we find with open data and and data sharing in particular is that there's less of a a resistance to doing it. Um, There's some hesitation sometimes when when folks are worried about, will, will there be some sort of liability? Will the city get sued? Because, frankly, cities get sued a lot. Um, <laughs> the average citizen doesn't realize how much litigation goes on. And so, you know, anything that opens you up for litigation, that always worries public servants. But the real um, barriers that we see to participating are less like a cultural shift or less even that fear of liability and more just a question of time. Um, mm-hmm. And really, the lack of access to training and tools. So most city governments, um, and actually, we see this even in the private sector because I connect with um, private sector colleagues all the time. Like a lot of big organizations, frankly, don't actually spend a lot on technology and data in terms of their mm-hmm. budgets, right? And so what you tend to have is just a real strong, especially now because technology is so um, it's so rapidly evolving and changing, mm-hmm. and new tools and new. So it's really hard to keep up especially in the public sector where it takes, there's even less resources and it takes so much to be able to write up a contract or or get a lot of stuff through that it just takes a lot of training, access to, you know, new tools and then just even time because there just isn't a lot of like growth in public service staff. So, um, so that to me, I feel is like the biggest challenge and it's less an issue of like, I don't want to release data.
0: Right. So what strategies have you tried to employ to, you know, get over that hump?
1: We work as what we usually say, like as a catalyst. We try to bring in resources um, into the city, whether they be like, you know, pro bono resources or literally like we'll have access to certain um, pools of funds and buy resources that then we extend across the city. So we really try to work almost like in service to our department. Um, mm-hmm. because we're probably that unique team that could do that and could actually focus on that. So, um, for example, with our GeoHub, um, we noticed that one of the challenges with data sharing and even opening up data was that in order to like show the value of data, you needed to have some sort of platform that allowed you to share that data in a much more integrated way and coordinated across the city, that allowed you to have like a private space for city employees to actually work on data um, before they even think about releasing it, um, a platform that allows you to collaborate and to build apps um, and even do analysis on it. And so if, if the city were to try to do that in the typical way, you know, they'd have to go through like this whole consensus building process and contracting process and all that stuff. We saw the need and we could just purchase it. And then now our real like, job is just to go out there, make it accessible and just focus on adoption and utilization and helping people kind of see the value and then show them how to use it so that they start to derive like value on their own. So mm-hmm. those are kind of, that's one example, but we've been doing that with a couple of different types of tools. Um, and then similarly, like on something like data science, where it just may be like in a department, they don't have some of the technical skills to, you know, do that kind of work. What we try to do is either help them do it um, through some training or hands-on support ourselves, or we actually connect them primarily to academic institutions that have that capacity so that the work can be done in, in partnership or collaboration with like an institute or, or a professor or things like that. So Mm -hmm. So, really try to provide resources.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you are trying to, you know, be the connector of all these different groups within and around the city. Yeah. So how – so when you think about connecting individuals to the data – Do you, do you try to go through these other organizations or do you try, do you also try to connect directly to citizens and say, Hey, we're going to, we have this open data or we are going to have this hackathon or this event, you know, come, come help us work with the data, explore the data, you know, tell us how we can improve the city.
1: Yeah. So we do it, um, through multiple rats. So definitely Mm -hmm. through that first example, trying to connect people to like academia institutions that are out there that are doing this kind of work. So do that one-on-one connection there. We've definitely done a lot of the hackathon and the civic tech engagement, Um, especially, you know, in the first kind of year and a half that I was here, we did believe about four or five major hackathons. And then now every year we run a hackathon for the National Day of Civic Hacking. So the next one's coming up at the end of September, and that one's going to focus on recycling, which is part of a huge campaign. The city's running around increasing recycling in commercial and multifamily units. Um, So we definitely try to connect one-on-one with with individuals in the community. Um, Mm -hmm. Hackathons have been really great at creating a lot of momentum. The next kind of level of engagement that we've done, and I think we've learned from the hackathons, is that there are a lot of interested folks wanting to kind of give of their talent to the city. And so one idea we had was, well, why don't we, people always email us and say, you know, are there projects that you guys have that we could work on? You know, I'm willing to do it for free. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we created an open Trello board, and we've been working with a group called Data for Democracy that has like an open Slack channel. Um, So tried to create a followership and a a partnership with Data for Democracy. And then we send people to our public Trello board where we actually post projects. And these are projects that we're working on that, um, you know, a department has mentioned to us or that we actually need help with. And then individuals like and we call them our data angels because (laughs) Uh, they really are <laughs> huge angels. Uh, they will come in and actually start working on the project. And the cool thing about Trello is since it's a project management tool, we can sort of see where in the pipeline the project is. Um, so, you know, uh, we can kind of actually keep track of like, is this project getting done? And we've actually had a couple of pretty of successful. We just launched it um, a couple months ago and we've had already a couple of successful projects get completed. And so, you know, trying to really harness um, that energy in mm-hmm. in really creative ways to c- get the work done. Um, the last thing I'll say is, um, we're also trying to really harness the, the interest in, in government and, and the use of data and technology by creating more pipelines into the city. So this summer, we ran this program that we call our Data Summer Academy, um, which we're hoping we can run again at least once a year, maybe, maybe a couple times a year. And essentially, it was just we get a lot of, again, students um, at all phases of their career, um, Ph.D., master's, undergrad. Um, people are just really talented and want to work in the city. And then at the same time, we have departments who need all this help because, like I said, they don't have time or resources. So this summer, what we did is we got ten of our best fellows, we matched them with ten projects across the city, and we placed them in city departments. And mm-hmm. we had some really amazing. Um, we just did a little symposium, uh, you know, because everybody's sort of heading back to school, um, in right, our right. different phrases, heading back to school. And and again, had really interesting projects, ranging from you know looking at congestion patterns at the airport, um, traffic congestion. Um, all the way to um, you know redesigning a project website for a Bureau of engineering that um, lets people know the status of capital projects across the city so it's a real like range of skills and talents and um, we're trying to put them to good use
0: yeah that's, and hopefully that's great. Can, yeah yeah well connecting and being able to tap into the talent that that's in your um, in the city is, is fantastic
1: yeah um, and actually people from across the country, we had a guy from Michigan, a Ph.D. from Michigan, um, and an undergrad from Harvard who oh, trucked all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I'll certainly really
0: put the, the, the Data Summer Academy uh, link on the show notes. And if people want to, hopefully they, they, they'd they be inspired to apply and, uh, yeah, get some get some more people involved. Um, that's, that's great. I, I wanted to um, shift gears a little bit and talk or get your thoughts on – Um, the the relationships of the type of people who are working on the data and for whom those data are trying to help or the, you know, the, the neighborhoods or the lives it's trying to affect. So have, have you thought about what I suspect, and I could be wrong, but what I suspect is sort of an imbalance between the kinds of people who attend the hackathons and work with the data versus the, you know, how that data is helping certain people. So, you know, poverty, for example, crime, uh, you know, uh, people coming out of prison or jail or, you know, data or issues that are trying to affect people in high rates of poverty or at risk of certain types of behaviors. I would guess those sorts of people are not attending hackathons and data camps and applying to the summer, the Data Summer Academy. Um, and so I guess my question is twofold. First, is that – is my intuition – maybe right. Um, and if so, how do you think about that imbalance between the, the two camps, the two groups?
1: So I think the intuition is is right, although I will give a caveat that I think in Los Angeles in particular we've been really heavily invested in making sure that our hackathons and our civic tech community is representative of, of the city's population and its own diversity. Um, and we're we're really fortunate that For example, in South LA, we have organizations like this group called Urban TXT, um, which is Teens Exploring Technology. And that group is focused basically on training young men, African American and Latino uh, men, I think um, mostly um, in the high school age range, teaching them not just how to code, but to, to actually participate in different aspects of the technology development process. Um, and, and gain skills and gain um, on-the-job experience and mentorship, etc. So, we're really lucky that we have groups like that that participate in the city that have their own hackathons as well. Um, but I think in general, you're right. I mean, we don't have, I would say, you know, nationwide, sometimes you don't have the neediest of people involved in these activities. And so, it's really important to kind of engage them. What I would say is that I think what we need to remember is that data needs context in order to become meaningful so that it's really a, an onus on us who are working in the data space to make sure that if we're trying to solve a problem that we actually go out and really engage with the folks that are kind of living that, that problem and really understand what the data is trying to tell us. You know, data really is just a fact. And so I'll, I'll use the example of, you know, X percent of illegal dumping, is happening on this one street. In order to do something about that fact, you actually have to go out there and really understand what's going on in that street and why the dumping is happening there and not in the next street over. And that's when you have to engage citizens. You can't just really sit behind a desk at City Hall and crunch a lot of numbers and, you know, pretend to know exactly what's happening in the street. So for us, I think there's a couple of ways we try to do that One is we try to create these digital tools that are really about helping our operators, decision makers across the city solve those problems. So the data is really an enabler for them to be able to go out and connect at the local level to understand how to like come up with actual solutions. Um, The other thing we try to do is we really rely on the power of mapping to really understand um, what the data is telling us and the context of the community um, so we've found that mapping allows you to then layer a whole bunch of information to really understand again why on that one street segment there's a lot of illegal dumping, and it could be that one that street segment actually is a freeway underpass, right? And so maybe mm-hmm. that makes it easy for people to come in and dump, um, or it could be that two, like in that neighborhood, people don't know about our public service three one one, and that they can call and get their you know big bulky items picked up for free. Um, And so, and we can track that by looking at where all the 311 calls are coming from and we can see, oh, this street with high dumping doesn't have any 311 calls. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's an outreach issue. So the data kind of helps us understand things and and enables us to do better, but it's really important to connect to the community and then to use things like mapping and context awareness and demographic information to really understand what that piece of information is trying to tell you.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's the way you frame it. And it's a great framing is you have some data and you use the data to create a tool that organizations and individuals on the ground can use to actually affect change. Um, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying we have some data and that, you know, we do something with it and that's the end of the game. Whereas there's this additional step that needs to be taken. You mentioned mapping. So can you talk a little bit about the tools that you use uh, or that your teams use when it comes to visualizing data and using data? My sense is that some of the mapping tools uh, lag behind or the development of mapping tools sort of lags behind a lot of the other you know, data analytics tools and the data visualization tools.
1: Yeah. So um, our team focuses, again, because we don't have a whole lot of unlimited resources, we really try right. to leverage what's already out there. So we use it in terms of... Um, just analytics, we use a mix of Microsoft's Power BI, we use Tableau, um, good old Excel, um, you know, we help support people understanding how to, how to maximize Excel across the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so that those are kind of a range of tools. In terms of mapping, we've actually relied heavily on ESRI, um, and that's what our GeoHub is based off of. And it's for a couple of reasons. So one, ESRI is a very um, well-known, highly utilized tool across all all levels of government. And then in our city, of the 41 departments that we have, we have an enterprise licensing agreement. It's probably used by over 30 departments across the city. So it's one of those tools that you can really leverage, especially if you Mm -hmm. want to create more interoperability across departments or maybe even with other jurisdictions. Um, And... I think that the question about, you know, mapping tools lagging behind, oh, and by the way, you know, some folks on our team use R, you know, and across the city, some folks will use like, perhaps like R with a mix of Jupyter Notebooks and, um, right. and Python, but that a little bit less so. Um, in terms of mapping tools lagging behind, I, I think the challenge we have is, and this is from my perspective, I think a tool like Esri is really, really robust and dynamic um, to do a lot of the analytics and the geospatial work that you want to do in a city like ours. The challenges, they're kind of hard to use and not as well known by like a younger crowd coming into the city. And then on the flip side, you have maybe kind of newer tools, newer mapping tools that are out there, but they're just not as robust in their analytical capability. And so I think there's a there's a lot of space for improvement in that in that sector and and part of it is just a mix and match of like your staff and their skill set and um yeah. and what you can do, but yeah. um there's some new integrations between Python R and Esri as an example that I think are really interesting because it could be like the wave of like bringing some of that kind of analytical capacity to maybe younger folks who are more accustomed to like. Uh, working in R is an example.
0: Right. When you're putting out visualizations and you're working with the data, how important is it for your team to make things that are really engaging visually as opposed to you know, putting out something that, you know, here's the data. So, you know, people like maps because they get to engage with them and they know that they live in this part of the city and they live on this block and they can point to it. Um, but it may not be necessarily the best way to visualize the data with, I'm putting best in quotes here. So yeah. how how important is it when you when you're putting things out? Part of your goal is really to just Is to highlight in some ways, uh, these data are available. Like how important is it to, to make visualizations that are engaging that draw people in and, and get them to, you know, see that there's data there that they can use.
1: It's extremely important, and we actually have um, a woman on our team who, her name is Leah, who focuses on design. Um, mm. Her background is in communication. She has a PhD in informatics, um, and then she helps us to really think about the design of our digital tools, the design of uh, um, our data displays, Um and even just the way we talk about data um, because the reality is like for you and I we get it you know when you know everybody has their own like learning curves but we get the value we get excited but for the average person and also just in like all the noise within city government, like mm. you say data and technology and people just like kind of, you know, they gloss over and they're just like, ooh, that's right. not me, <laughs> right? right? People right. self select out of the conversation. So we spend a lot of time really thinking through just even how we talk about data and technology. Um, but definitely how we, how we display things is really critical. And then the interactivity of things. Um, maybe we can uh, share a link for your audience to our Clean Streets Index. That's one that we're really proud of because you know you can put raw data out there and it's tabular, and then you lose the average Angelino. So we want to make it consumable to everybody. So we created a way for people to visualize. Not just aggregate numbers on a map, but like literally type in their address, find their street mm. score, see how the score was comprised, see how it compares to other parts of the city. So we'll kind of do some of the thinking for kind of the average individual so that, so that it, they can interact with it, too. Because they're, I mean, for as much as I love our data angels, I mean, we're trying to really serve um, yeah. all Angelinos.
0: So. Right. right, right. <laughs> um, well, this is great. I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of great data, getting it out there and working with a lot of uh, interesting groups and interesting data to help improve the city. So um, it sounds terrific. Um, I'm going to put all of these links on the show page and hopefully folks in and outside Southern California will be able to uh, take a look and, and take advantage of it. Yep, definitely. Um, Lillian, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really great talking to you.
1: Thank you, John. Good chatting with you as well.
0: And thanks to everyone for tuning into this week's episode. If you have comments or questions or have a story about how you've used open data in your city or in Los Angeles or D.C. or wherever you are, please do let me know um, on the show notes page or on Twitter or via email. And please do rate the show, review the show on your favorite podcast provider. And so until next time, this has been the Policy Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening.